John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, as we look at verses 24 through 31 this morning. In the last few weeks, and I, I know some of you are here today, you're visiting, I met some of you earlier, and I was, I was hoping to make more of the rounds as I was uh, greeting uh, children and parents and other people who were here visiting with us uh, today. It was great to see you all. I was reminded about how much cooking would be going on today and how much eating would be going on today and how there is so little time for the pastor to make rounds, you know? But I see that many of you are visiting today, so I feel like I need to say to you at least that in the last few weeks, we have been looking at different signs. We've been looking at different miracles that were presented by John himself. And these signs somehow pointed to who Christ was. John had recorded these things for us in the Gospels, and here we see Jesus high and lifted up, and we've marched all the way now to Easter Sunday. We've seen his power over disease. We've seen his power to, to bring healing and to bring comfort to people. We have seen Jesus up to this point, and now this morning we are able to encounter the resurrected Lord as we see his disciple Thomas come face to face with the one that he had served for so long. I want you to see this, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now Thomas, the guy that we've often called Doubting Thomas, the, the guy that we believe has been consumed with pessimism, is confronted by Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. Now this doesn't happen on Easter Sunday. I understand that. Some of you are looking at the passage and you said, well, Brother Reggie, I don't understand. You're not talking about an Easter Sunday experience. But you are seeing an individual who comes to celebrate, who comes to see the resurrected Lord. And it's actually the Sunday after Easter Sunday. The Bible says that Thomas wasn't there when initially they, the other disciples saw Jesus. He wasn't there. And they were telling him about it. Can, I mean, can you imagine that moment when the other disciples just wanted to tell Thomas, look, we have seen the Lord. We have seen Jesus. He, he's, he's alive. He's, he's risen. And that must have been such a moment of celebration for those disciples. But I want you to see that when Thomas hears that news, when he hears what they say, 
It's like he just can't get there. He just can't believe. There is conflict inside. The scripture says that he's called the twin. And in this case, there is a a twin battle that's going on inside where he wants to believe, I think. But it just seems to be such an incredible experience, such outside of reality itself, that there's no way that Jesus could be alive. And the disciples, they must have kept on. They must have, they must have said, but listen, Thomas, we've seen him. We, we know. I love that wording there. We have seen the Lord. In the original language, it means that we have seen him and it has had abiding consequences in our lives. In other words, we saw him at a distinct moment, but it, it made a difference. It made an impact upon us. Thomas says, look, unless I see the print of the nails... Unless I literally touch him, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Again, I think Thomas wanted to. I think there was a conflict here. I think that Thomas had followed Jesus for some three years or so, and I I believe that he wanted to trust in the risen Lord. But reality said that a man does not just rise from the dead. How many times in your life and mine have we wanted, almost, we wanted to believe God? I mean, there was that part of us that we wanted to believe him for the things of our lives. When we lost our jobs, we, we believed that he was going to provide. And we wanted to believe that, but it was almost like we just couldn't buy totally into it. Or how many times have we faced sickness or maybe our families and we knew God was going to take care of us. We heard what the preacher said. We heard what other people said. But it was like it was so hard for us to get there. And here Thomas, I believe it was so hard. I believe there was confusion and there was conflict in his heart and in his soul and he wanted to believe. But he just seemed to have so many questions. This week, I wrote an article in our newsletter, The Tidings. Some of you, you read it this week. I like to ask that every now and then just to see if it's worth my time. But some of you probably, you read it. A few of you did, maybe. And you know that I, I wrote, really, concerning an article that I had read earlier in my life. It was an article about how punctuation marks could speak to the Easter event or the Easter weekend. Punctuation marks. Now, I like that because I was a double major in Bible and English at Blue Mountain College. And yes, I recognize Mississippi English, which is a total different field than most of you all have ever experienced. But it was English nonetheless. So I really was, I really was interested in this article as I was reading through. And it said that the Easter event could be described using a comma, a period, a question mark, and an exclamation point. That Thursday night, for example, that Thursday night when Jesus was arrested and when he was taken into um, trial and it went on over and over during the night, the trials did, that that was almost like a comma. It was like a pause for the disciples. They had followed Jesus for some time. They had given their lives to him. They were following him as the master teacher. And it was kind of like they just paused for a moment to see what was going to happen. They had followed him to experience his kingdom. And now it was a pause to see how that kingdom would come. Very quickly, 
that comma seemed to turn into a period for the disciples. Turned into a period for the, for the disciples. For on that Friday when Jesus Christ died, it brought with it a sense of finality. I mean, the period had come. It was final. Jesus himself had even cried from the cross and said, it is finished. We know that he was talking about the sacrifice and his mission and his purpose. But for the disciples trying to decipher all of this, it seemed like there was an end. Well, we don't know much about what happened on that Saturday of, of Easter weekend. It was a Sabbath moment, so it was a time to rest and reflect. We do know that the disciples, similar to here, that they are inside somewhere and they are locked in the doors. They're, they're concerned about what's going to happen to them. But can you imagine the flood of questions that must have come? I mean, when you have time to just sit back and reflect and think about the moments, the questions that must have come, what's my life going to be like? I've invested this time. How's this? Am I going to die? And question and question and question must have come and conflict, and some type of confusion. But then, as I mentioned this week, the exclamation point came on Sunday morning, didn't it? I would say that, I would say that God punctuated the weekend with a final exclamation point. He is risen. He's not here. And the disciples, the others, they saw him. I mean, for them, their question mark had turned into an exclamation point. That's the reason they came to Thomas a week later and said, we have seen Jesus. We have seen him and it's made a difference in our lives. So for the other disciples, their question mark had already been transformed into an exclamation point. But Thomas, remember, he was not there. He was not there when... Jesus had appeared to the others. So for him, he still lived in that question mark stage. I mean, he still has so many questions, and, and he is the realist. I mean, how many people come back from the dead? And Thomas, perhaps he is dismissing the other disciples as if they're just hopeful or they're just wishful. Thomas, I believe, wants to believe but it simply does not make sense. He says, I've got to see him. Again, before we beat up on old Thomas, know that there are many times in our lives that in our hearts we say we want to believe, but it's so difficult to get there. We want to believe that God will bring healing. But we've heard what the doctor said. We want to believe that there will be financial stability that will be brought. But we heard the boss when he said that we were fired. We want to believe that God is going to take care. But then it seems like things just simply go awry. Before we beat up on old Thomas... Maybe we need to be reminded that we have found these similar moments of conflict in our lives. But the conflict for Thomas, it was turned into 
confirmation. Notice what the scripture says. Verse 26, it says, after eight days, here that Sunday after Easter, the way the Jewish mind counted days, the Sunday after Easter, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. So get this scene. Doors are locked. Concerned about what might happen or the authorities that might come, doors are locked. Everybody's inside. Perhaps they're still having conversations about what had happened. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. There's Jesus. Glorified body, Jesus standing before his disciples. And I'm proud he said, peace be to you, aren't you? Because if I'd have been in that midst and I knew the doors were locked and all of a sudden Jesus was there, I would need some peace at that moment. And he says, peace be to you. The glorified body of Christ. We can't talk about all of that this morning. We're going to one day. But isn't that going to be great when God gives us our own glorified bodies? Absolutely. He comes in. And I love the way Jesus approaches this. He doesn't just hammer Thomas. He doesn't come in and say, hey, I hear there's somebody here that's not been listening I hear somebody here that can't believe. Thomas, is that you? He doesn't say that, does he? I love the patience and the grace that Christ shows to Thomas. He comes in. He says, peace be to you. And then it's as though he does look at Thomas. And it's kind of like he says something like, now, Thomas, I hear you've been talking. I hear you've been saying some things. And Thomas, here I am. And notice what he says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Compare verse 27 with verse 25. Verse 25, Thomas said, this is what's got to happen in order for me to believe. Verse 27, Jesus meets the exact statement of what thomas said verbatim i mean exactly what thomas needed jesus provided for belief for confirmation because listen to me jesus wants us to express faith and belief he he wants to work into our lives he wants to bring the confirmation that is needed he brings confirmation to Thomas. You'll notice Thomas doesn't even need to touch Jesus at this point. He knows, right? He doesn't even have to do that because he sees Jesus, he meets the resurrected Lord, and his faith is confirmed. God wants to meet us where we are, and he wants to demonstrate whatever it is, whatever it takes in our lives to bring us to faith to bring us to belief. I, I, I'm, I really hold that. I, I think that is God. I think he loves us in such a way that he wants to build our faith and he wants to bring us to where we need to be and, and he'll work in our lives to bring that exact confirmation. Jesus would do it in whatever way he deems best. Now, some of you would say, well, Brother Reggie, if... Um, 
if Jesus would appear to me like this, then absolutely I'd believe. You know, if he was there, he would absolutely, I would believe. But get this, Jesus has already provided everything that we need for us to believe him and trust in him. There's an extraordinary statement that Jesus makes in Luke when he's telling the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I don't know if you've ever noticed this remark he makes, but he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and you remember the story how um, the rich man and Lazarus, both of them die, each one end up in their respective destinations, and, and, and the rich man begs Father Abraham to just send Lazarus back. It just... Just do something to my brothers so that they'll know and they'll believe. Just send Lazarus back. And Abraham said, they have the Moses, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Moses and the prophets in the New Testament, that's the way that you would you would say they have the scriptures. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear the scriptures. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And get this. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. In other words, he says that the scripture itself is sufficient for belief. For people to believe that even if somebody had come back, they'd, they'd explain it away, they'd talk it away. But if somebody understands God's word and God's scripture and it is spoken to them, they can come to faith and trust. So get this. God has given us everything that we need to believe in who Jesus is. Everything. I have not seen him face-to-face physically. Okay? Did you hear me say that this morning? I've not seen Jesus Christ face-to-face physically. I'm going to one day. I believe that. But I have not yet. But may I say this? I believe Jesus Christ, that he is alive, that he is risen... I believe that just as though I had seen him face to face, physically. Because of the word that has been implanted in my heart, for the word that has been given to me by the eyewitnesses like Thomas and the disciples and over 500 plus at one time who saw Christ risen. And it is enough. It is enough to confront my doubt And to bring faith and belief. The confirmation that Jesus brings when we see him. The confirmation. And then, as you see the conflict turn into confirmation, you see the confirmation verbalized in a confession. Notice verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord... And my God. Don't you love the simplicity of that? Don't you love the power of that? That Thomas just says, my Lord and my God. I told you that Thomas didn't have to touch anybody at this point. Thomas didn't have to. He knew 
that Jesus Christ was alive. And he confessed, my Lord and my God. That is so significant. That is so significant, especially for a first century man who was raised in Judaism, who had believed all of his life that there was one God. Notice now what he says. My Lord and my God. He looks at Jesus and he ascribes to him deity. He ascribes to him lordship. Again, this is a, a Thomas who had, been risen in, who had been raised in Judaism, who had constantly been taught that there was only one God. And now as he is standing before Jesus, he says, you are God. You are Lord. You know, for so many today, and you see so much written around Easter, and you see so many different documentaries, you see so many different things and conversations, and people who say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, and he never claimed to be Lord, and he was simply a prophet. You hear all of that kind of stuff? Well, let me tell you, you can kind of move that to the shelf and once again, hear the confession of Thomas. My Lord and my God. Don't miss the expression of deity. Don't miss the expression of lordship that Thomas ascribes to Jesus. My Lord and my God. Lordship means simply that we recognize that he is the master and the boss of our lives and that he is the one true God. I remember we were writing a constitution once upon a time for a church that I was involved in, constitution bylaws. We'd gotten down to some of the things that, that we were trying to simplify and maybe state our belief on. And we had... We had written something in like this, that you must believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior in order to be a member of our church. We wrote something in like that. One of the dear ladies in the church, a lady who had been there for many, many years, wonderful lady, knew the scripture. She came to me and she said, um, Brother Reggie, there's, um, there's something about this that seems strange. And I want to talk to you about it. I said, what's that? She said, about this, about this wording, about we have to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I said, okay, what, what, what's concerning you about it? And she said, she said, well, she said, shouldn't it be that we accept him as Savior and Lord instead of Lord and Savior? Because we accept him as Savior before we accept him as Lord. Now, I understood kind of where she was going with this, okay? I understood what she was trying to say. But I looked at her and I said, I said, you know, I don't think it matters one way or the other. Because when you come to accept Jesus Christ, you have to accept him as both Savior and Lord. You have to understand that he is the Lord of your life. And that's how you're committing yourself to him. It, it, when you come to accept Jesus, you have to accept him for who he is. Lord and God. 
Savior and Lord. Oh, but Brother Reggie, don't we grow in our Lord's? Yes, every day, every day in my life, I grow in my understanding of who Jesus is and the Lordship in my life. I know that. But when you come to Jesus, you don't accept him just as Savior. You also accept him as the Lord, as the boss, as the master of your life. We had people baptized this morning. Do you know the earliest confession of faith? The earliest confession of faith in the church was Jesus is Lord. Earliest confession. People had to state Jesus is Lord. Listen at Thomas. Thomas said, I know who you are. My Lord and my God. Oh, by the way, those personal pronouns there, my, they make a difference, don't they? Don't they make a difference? Oh, yes, they do. Some of you, I know that. Some of you come up to me and say, hey, have you seen my grandchildren this morning on Easter Sunday? (laughs) Made a difference, didn't it? That one little word, my, can transform the whole experience, right? My grandchildren, these are my children. Listen to what what Thomas says. My Lord and my God. See, the one that Thomas had been following for all that time, the one that had kingdom aspirations, the one that he wanted to follow and trust, he was alive. And he had provided exactly what Thomas needed. He had come to Thomas in that graceful way and just said, Thomas, here I am. Believe. Trust. The confirmation came. The confession was verbalized. And notice then what Jesus said to him, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. You have seen me, and thus you believe. But notice Jesus said there's a blessing for those who have not seen me physically, and yet they've believed. The word blessing carries with it the word Uh, joy, happiness, contentment. He said, joyful are those, content are those who have not seen me face to face physically, but who have believed. I believe this morning as we come to celebrate the resurrected Lord, which every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? As we come to celebrate that joy should be contagious in this place. Contentment should be contagious because blessed are we who have not seen him physically, but we have trusted and we have believed. And notice that really is the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. Verse 20, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Jesus did so many miracles. He did so many signs. He healed people that we don't even have recorded in Scripture. He he provided for people. He, He was there. There are so many other things. John says if it really would have taken me books upon books and library upon library to tell you all that Jesus did. 
But these have been recorded. All the signs that we have studied up to this point, even until the resurrection itself, so that what? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The resurrection validated Jesus' ministry and message. It spoke to what he wanted to accomplish. It spoke to the life-giving power that he had. And the scripture says that if we trust and if we believe, then we experience life through his name. Now, there are two schools of thought about John's purpose here. Both surround belief and faith. Some believe that the evangelist was trying to inspire people to come and accept Christ as Lord for the very first time. And perhaps that is the case. And I would say to you today, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord, oh, what Easter this would be. If you would come and you would surrender your heart and you would repent of your sins and you would you would accept his lordship in your life. And today, maybe that's it. Maybe some of you are there and you say, I've been struggling with it. I've gone through this moment of conflict. Maybe today you need to come and experience life in Christ through faith. Some people believe that it's for the unbelievers. Others say John wrote actually for believers, that the gospel was given here for believers well what about believers i mean i thought we we're already people of faith right why would he write so that we would have faith in him i'm just going to give you a personal testimony here okay god is always able to grow my faith there are places in my life where i need to trust him more there are areas in my life where faith needs to grow. And you know how it grows so often? is by seeing Jesus Christ, hearing his word and how it is accomplished in my life and knowing that I can trust him for life. Because those things I mentioned earlier about job situations, about health situations, about all these other things that we're dealing with, these things are written. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. For those of us who are believers, I can tell you that every time we read about this miracle, we're reminded of the power and the grace of God and the goodness of God how he can take care of us, how he can work in our lives, how he can continue to bring life through his name. Because, my friends, when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I didn't leave life at the altar. Life invaded my heart. Life took control. And now I experience life in Christ daily he is risen he is not here would you experience that life if you've never accepted him would you come and trust him today if you have and you just need to grow in your faith 
Would you encounter the resurrected Lord and allow him to transform you?